You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. In Amalekite, think about this, through his disobedience, it was in Amalekite, you know, if this record that's recorded for us here in 2 Samuel is true, it was an Amalekite who brought a bitter end to a tragic life. Now, why have I gone such a long way to make this point? Well, the Bible does not specifically say it, but Amalek is commonly regarded as an illustration or a type of our fleshly, carnal nature. We've had a hard time with God wiping out groups of people in Scripture. That's a result of the compassionate nature He's given us. We feel sympathy for those who chose the wrong way, partly because that we ourselves may have been a few bad choices away from the same faith. As Pastor Mike will point out in today's message, throughout Scripture, we find groups of people who collectively rejected God and His order. And the only way to protect those children was to eliminate those groups. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 1 as he begins his message, Life's Transitions and New Beginnings. this message sharing an observation with you. And as I suggested in the title of our message, I want to talk about the subject of life's transitions and new beginnings. You know, I believe at one time or another, most people go through what I would refer to or call a transitional uh, period in their life's experience. And this can be a very difficult time for many uh, people because we're talking about major adjustments taking place within our lives. And at times that would make us feel very uncomfortable. But nevertheless, these transitional periods are related to new beginnings because they usually take place at an ending. That is the ending of a facet of our lives. As we know, and that uh, period of time comes to uh, a close. Like for example, it could be a relationship a situation, maybe the death of a, a loved one, uh, maybe uh, someone who has gone through a uh, divorce, uh, maybe it's uh, the result of a termination of uh, employment or the loss of a job. It may be uh, the result of a change in a place of residence. If you're a young person, it may be that you now are off to college. These are what I would refer to as transitional uh, periods in the lives of people all of which may cause hopelessness, a sense of powerlessness, and disorientation. That is, 
if you don't have the right perspective. That is, if you don't respond to those transitional periods in our lives the way that God wants us to respond uh, to them. Okay, so with that said, that sort of sets the platform for this study. Now let's get back to David and what he did just experience, all of what we've been talking about over the last several weeks, the last couple of months. And truly, it could be say, said of David that he went through a huge transitional period in his life. Let's consider the way that David worked through those situations. Now remember, let's back up a little bit. The Philistines, who took on hosting the protection of David and his men, were going to war against Israel. Remember, we've talked about that over the last, uh, specifically the last uh, two weeks in our studies in 1 Samuel. And if Saul, who was Israel's king, who was also bent on killing David, defeated the Philistines, he would no longer be able to rely upon the protection of the Philistines. But as you know, in our previous studies, we uh, discovered that God wouldn't allow David and his men to go up against his own uh, countrymen. Remember, he was dismissed from the battle. Remember, the Philistines' lords uh, became suspicious of David and men. They thought that, you know, in the heat of the battle, in the middle of the battle between the Israelites, David might turn upon them. And uh, so he has been uh, dismissed. He was, uh, he was uh, uh, under great suspicion by the Philistine lords. And so David was dismissed from this uh, battle, and he sent back, he's traveling home to Ziglag, and uh, that was the city that the uh, Philistine king had uh, given David and his men to occupy, only to find that when he arrives back at that destination, that his city, Ziglag, had been ransacked, and his wives and his children had been carried off into captivity by the Amalekites. So everything he possessed, you know, talk about a transitional period, everything he possessed is gone. It looks like for David an ending. David at that time had hit a, a wall, you might say. So truly, this was for David a life's transition, not only for David, but all of his uh, men as well. And also, throw this into the mix, his men are blaming David for what had taken place, that is, his leaving the city of Ziglag unprotected as they went out to battle against the Israelites. And in fact, we are told in the previous uh, chapter that they were ready to put David to death through stoning. So how did David respond to all of this? Well, in spite of all of the doubt, all of the uncertainty, David is about to discover that God has been working in and through his circumstances to bring about his purposes in his life. And it's all about the sovereignty of God and preparing a way for a new dynasty that is in the nation of Israel and David sitting as the new king over his people. Now, what was true of David is also true of uh, us. God is working through our circumstances. No matter the way that we perceive them, God is working to bring about his purpose and his plan for our lives. And as I've already suggested, I believe that God has a very specific plan and purpose for each and every one of us. And yes, that plan may differ from one person to another, but nevertheless, God has a plan and purpose. 
Remember, as a part of your conversion experience, you ask God to come and take control over your lives. Isn't that correct? So make no mistake about that. When you gave him that opportunity uh, to do that, he did exactly uh, that. Gang, don't confuse your circumstances, as bad as they might seem, with finality. You know, you're thinking at that time, you know, it's all over for me, lights out. There are only a part of a sequence, a phase, in a transitional process, a precondition of self-renewal. Don't be scared of them or try to avoid them. Okay, so let's go on now and see how this played out in David's life. So let's pick up now in verse 1 of chapter 1 here in 2 Samuel. And there we read, Now it came to pass after the death of Saul, which was recorded for us in the previous uh, chapter, when David had returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites, remember when he had gone back to Ziglag, he had been dismissed by the Philistine lords only to find out that the city had been ransacked. Uh, they had taken all of the possessions, their wives, their children, and such. And David and his men armed themselves and went out and uh, trying to track them down. And he did successfully, and he recovered all that had been lost, brought back all of the children, all of the wives back to the city of Ziglag. So it was a time of great... Uh, rejoicing, and uh, so the reference here, when David had returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites, so God went before him and he was successful in that occupation, and David had stayed two days in uh, Ziglag. But you know, after the death of Saul, not only did Saul uh, die going up against the Philistines in that battle, also his three sons were killed, and it was a sad ending to a tragic life. And then in verse 2, we are told, on the third day, after he had returned to the city of Ziglag, behold, it happened that a man came from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dust on his head. Now, this uh, reference to his clothes were torn and dust on his head are traditional expressions of mourning for the dead. And it also indicated that Uh, this was uh, some bad news that was going to be brought back to uh, David. And you can also bet at this time that David was concerned about the outcome of this battle between uh, his countrymen, Israel, and the Philistines. He didn't know what had taken place. Uh, Prior to this time that we're reading about here in the next couple of verses, he didn't know that Saul had been killed. He didn't know about uh, Saul's sons being killed. He didn't know about the armies of Israel being destroyed. So you can bet he was very concerned about the outcome of that battle. And so anyway, uh, this fellow that we're introduced to here uh, came from Saul's camp with his clothes torn, dust on his head. And so it was when he came to David that he fell to the ground and prostrated himself. And David said to him, where have you come from? And so he said to him, I have escaped from the camp of Israel. And then David said to him, How did the matter go? Please tell me. And he answered, The people have fled from the battle, and many of the people are fallen, dead. And Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead also. So David said to the young man, Who told him? And how do you know that Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead? And then the young man who told him, uh, said, 
as I happened by chance to be on Mount Geboa, there was Saul leaning on his spear, and indeed the chariots and horsemen followed hard after him. So the suggestion here is that actually, uh, we are told in the previous chapter, in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 31, that he had been struck by the archers of the Philistines. And he knew that he wasn't going to make it. And we were told in the previous chapter that he asked his armor bearer to thrust them through with the uh, sword. Why was that? Because he was in fear that he was going to be tortured by the Philistines. Okay, now there's a contrast. There's a contradictory statements that are being made here between what's recorded for us in the previous chapter and the record that is given uh, to David by this Amalekite that we're introduced to here. But we'll get to that in just a, a moment. So through fear of what the Philistines might do to him, he asks, according to this Amalekite story, that he would uh, put an end to his life, sort of like a mercy uh, killing. Verse 7, now when he looked behind him, he saw me, that is Saul, and called to me, and I answered, here I am. And he said to me, who are you? And so I answered him, I am an Amalekite. And he said to me, please stand over me and kill me, for anguish has come upon me, but my life still remains in me. And so I stood over him and killed him. Again, uh, the idea here is a mercy killing, because I was sure that he could not live after he had uh, fallen. He had been struck by those arrows the Philistine archers. And I took the crown that was on his head, Saul's uh, crown, and the bracelet that was on his arm and have brought them here to my Lord David. Now, this Amalekite is assuming that this news that he was sharing with David would uh, delight him, uh, that he would be very pleased with the news of this uh, outcome. Well, let me also say here, that there are two possibilities to actually how Saul died. And I want you to consider both of these possibilities because there's some lessons for us uh, to learn. One writer, and uh, this writer I, pr I probably more agree with and I'll side with because I believe that uh, what he suggests is probably the correct understanding of how Saul died. And I quote, the whole account which this young man, this Amalekite, gave was a fabrication and many of the particulars. It is grossly self-contradictory. There is no fact in the case but the bringing of the crown and bracelets of Saul, which as he appears to have been a plunderer of the slain, that is, those who had been killed in this battle, the Israelites, he found on the field of battle. And he brought them to David and told the lie of having dispatched Saul merely to gain his uh, favor. So, uh, again, I believe what the Amalekite had uh, told David was a contradictory uh, statement, a contradiction of the account that is recorded for us back in the previous chapter. In fact, let's quickly go back there for a moment. In 1 Samuel chapter 31, so just go back one chapter. Uh, in your Bibles, to chapter 31, in verses 3 through 5. Let's read that. The battle became fierce against Saul. The archers hit him, 
and he was severely wounded by the archers. So uh, Saul knew that he wasn't going to survive. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, who was present, draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men, this was the way that he referred to the Philistines, the idea that, you know, recognizing that they were without a covenant relationship with God, remember it was through circumcision, uh, that represented Israel having a covenant relationship with God. So this wasn't a racial slur. This is just the way that uh, Saul refers to the Philistines as uncircumcised. So lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and abuse me, but his armor bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. And so here we are told, notice, which is contradictory to what the Amalekite reported to David, therefore Saul took a sword and fell upon it. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died with him. Okay, so let me, let me just suggest this. It may be possible. I don't know. You, you, you know all of this is subject to our own understanding. We really, we're really not quite sure. It's open to speculation. It could have been possible that the armor bearer, uh, looking over the body, the motionless body of Saul, wasn't really dead. Remember, he fell upon his own sword and he took his own life, so he died. So in viewing Saul after he had been hit by uh, the arrows and then him plunging himself uh, through with his own sword, it may have been that Saul wasn't killed at all, but only had fainted, which would have given some credibility to the story that the Amalekite had given to David. It is plausible. We really don't know. And as I mentioned, this is only open to speculation and interpretation. Let's consider the other possibility. Remember, I had said that there are two possibilities of actually how Saul had uh, died. If we do take the Amalekite story as true, as is recorded for us here in chapter 1 of 2 Samuel chapter 2, if we do take the Amalekite story as true, this is a very chilling statement indeed. In revealing to Saul who he was. Remember, in his account, Saul asked him who he was. And he responded by telling him, I am an Amalekite. Now, Remember, in a unique war of judgment, you know, previously, you know, going back several months in our series here in 1 Samuel, God had commanded Saul to completely eradicate the people of, Amalek, uh, of Amalek. And it's recorded for us, and I'd encourage you to read it sometime when you have a chance. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 2 and 3. And uh, God had remembered how that the Amalekites, as God's people, had made the exodus out of Egypt and they were traveling to the land of promise, the land of Canaan, how that the Amalekites pounded upon the weak and the elderly as they moved through the wilderness on their way to the promised land. And God remembered that. And so God was about to repay the Amalekites uh, for what they had done to uh, Israel. And so God had instructed Saul to completely eliminate, eradicate the people of 
Amalek. Not only for that reason alone, but they were a vile uh, people. Remember, uh, back then in our, in our series in 1 Samuel, I gave you some background uh, information concerning the Amalekites and who they were. They were just a vile uh, people. And if they continued to exist, they, their, their sin would, would just permeate the entire world. You know, it was sort of like what had taken place during the days of Noah, where God had to step in and intervene on, on behalf of Noah and his family, lest the entire world be just riddled and, uh, entirely with uh, sin. And so he had to destroy the earth to start all over again. So that was one of the reasons why the Amalekites, uh, Saul was commanded by God to completely destroy uh, the Amalekites. They were a vile people. You know, one of their practices in worshiping their uh, gods, they would take their newborn children and they would place them upon the altars that were, de- uh, that were uh, uh, consecrated unto the gods that they served, and they were burnt there upon the altar, if you can imagine that. They were a vile, vile uh, people. So anyway, God commanded Saul to completely eradicate the people of Amalek, and again, you can read about that in 1 Samuel chapter 15. But Saul failed to do this. And what did he do? He disobeyed. He held back the best of the flocks and the cattle for his own and his own men. He held their king, whose name was Agag, hostage, looking for a big payday, a ransom. And so he identifies himself as an Amalekite, He was commanded by God to eradicate the people of Amalek, but Saul failed to do this. And an Amalekite, think about this, through his disobedience, it was an Amalekite, you know, if this record that's recorded for us here in 2 Samuel is true, it was an Amalekite who brought a bitter end to a tragic life. Now, why have I gone such a long way to make this point? Well, the Bible does not specifically say it, but Amalek is commonly regarded as an illustration or a type of our fleshly carnal nature. We've talked about that, and you know, particularly in the Old Testament, there are these types, okay? They have dual meanings, and Amalek, or the Amalekites uh, in those types, is commonly regarded as an illustration of our fleshly carnal Nature. For example, like our fleshly nature, think about it, Amalek focuses its attacks on the tired and the weak. You know, I, I found that, you know, I'm always at the weakest point in my own life, you know, when temptation provides an opportunity for me, when I haven't been in the Word, and therefore I am weak. You know, I haven't been spending the time that necessary that I need to spend regularly studying the word and in prayer. The sickly, remember, as I mentioned before, as the children of Israel made their way out of Egypt, part of the Exodus, heading towards the land of promise, they prayed upon the weak and the elderly. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, That's all we have time for on this edition of In My Father's House. Thanks for tuning in. Did you know that you can listen to Pastor Mike's teachings on your favorite podcast app? Just search for In My Father's House with Mike Finizio and be sure to subscribe. And let us know you're a listener in the comments. 
We'd love for you to join us for worship this Sunday at Harvest Christian Fellowship, too. You can find all the information you need at harvestnyc.org. We're located in Midtown Manhattan, and there's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. If you're not in the area, or if you're unable to attend in person, we'd still like to have you be a part of our time studying God's Word. We're live-streaming our services each week, and you can connect on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. If you'd like to catch previous Sunday messages, click on the Resources tab. You can also watch services through our Vimeo link or connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Links to all of these are available at our website. One more time, that's harvestnyc.org. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to remind you just how much your Heavenly Father loves you. We also want you to know how grateful we are to have you as a part of our listening audience. And we're praying for you. Thanks again for joining us today. And we look forward to our continuing study of 2 Samuel next time, right here on In My Father's House. There's a place for